Welcome back. We are back for another episode, another installment of the Bench Mob Podcast. You know the vibes. It's your boy, still not worried, Mr. Miles underscore 8024. Make sure you follow all that good stuff. We already know the vibes with Miles. But we're going to start off with the recap for Heat Bucks game. They were about to get swept. Giannis doesn't play, re injures the ankle. Somehow. The Bucks pull out the game in OT 118-115. Takeaways from that game? I mean, with that game, it looked like Giannis was getting to it early because he was really – he took over to start the game. But, I mean, it, it can't just be him, you know. So, with him doing that, I think they were still – it was it was a close game, but it was still – they were looking like they were going to lose. And then – he hurts his ankle again, comes out the game. And everybody just gave up on the Bucks. But it was interesting that once he left, it almost looked like they were playing better basketball because there was more team ball. It was more movement. It wasn't like you have this runaway train just coming through the lane every time. It's, it's, it's actual basketball. you got guys on the three-point line. you got Middleton who – he saved their season because he basically took over for uh, Giannis. And what I noticed, I think for them, their best, their, the best way for them to play is have Middleton kind of be that option where he's bringing it up. And then you like, you have Giannis in the post. Cause I don't know if he, if Giannis can't shoot and he's just going to run straight through the lane, then that kind of limits your offense. But as we saw, Middleton, when he's getting going and he has his shots and he's not deferring to Giannis, he's actually pretty good. So there's that. I mean, it's 3-1 now. This next game tonight is going to be huge because I don't think Giannis is going to play. It wouldn't be smart. So it's going to be the Chris Middleton show again. And we'll see. We'll see if he can drop 40 again because – they definitely need it. Like Bledsoe played well, Middleton played well, but they need all those guys to play well if Giannis isn't going to be there because you're losing the MVP and you the season's almost over if you don't step up. So we'll see. I, I like Jimmy Butler tonight, but I wouldn't mind if the Bucks won tonight. Just, just continue the series, let Giannis come back for game <laughs> six. And then let's see what happens. Nah, I think the best thing for the Heat, at least, close it out. Um, Chris Middleton did his part. I don't really see, just looking at the stat line, the closest person at the Middleton um, outside of Giannis was 14 points. I still don't think that's going to be enough to get them to win the series. Giannis was getting to it 19 points in 11 minutes. So he was on his way to a big night, probably – 40 and 15, probably type of night that he was headed to. Next game, Lakers, Rockets. Lakers go uh, tie the series 1-1. 117-109. Um, takeaways from how that game turned out, especially being that they lost the first game. People were getting all panicking and whatnot. What's your takeaways from them being able to tie back up? I mean, I, I kind of saw it coming that they were going to lose game one just because it's a new style that you have to go against. You're going against like a small ball team who 
they run. They they move a little faster than these other teams that have your prototypical power forward center combo. So now they can get up and down the floor. Don't have to worry about a big man trailing and all that stuff. So I saw that game one sort of going the way it did. I didn't think that they'd get blown out in the first game the way they did. But, I mean, it was a wake-up call. And game two, I mean, LeBron came to play. AD, like I said, needs to be more aggressive and take over because, I mean, you got P.J. Tucker on you. You got like six, six inches on him. You don't even have to do too much. You can really pull up over him, shoot, back him down. He's not – he's strong, but he's not as strong as you. So use that size. It was huge that Rondo was back because I noticed something that they play better and more in sync when he's playing. I like, I like Rondo and, and LeBron combo out there on the court because then you could really have him run – Point, have LeBron a little bit off ball in a way and and go at it like that but the other thing was Westbrook he was he was sorry in game two we're gonna talk we're gonna talk about the struggles though uh yeah Westbrook he was he wasn't playing well and he said it best right now I'm just out there running around he's not not putting the ball in the, the basket so it's all about knocking the rust off, I guess, a little bit since he really only has played like five games in the last three weeks because of the injury. But this is a huge game. They took game one, so you'd hope they could try to take game three since they, if you're looking at it like a normal series, they split in L.A. if you want to look at it that way. And now they'd be back home. So they got to take one of these games. It can't be like Portland who – lost game three and game four to L.A. And once you do that, series is basically over. So we got to see what happens in this next game. Yeah, I think it was huge for the Lakers. Talking on Rondo, he had a plus-minus of 28. Huge game from him. Um, thing with Rondo is, are you going to get that consistency? Will we see that game three? Because he was signed, obviously, for his veteran leadership the intangible aspect of that regard. And it's another playmaker on the court. You was able to get 16 from Markeith Morris, 13 from Kuzma. Whether it's Morris, Kuzma, whoever it is, they need, the Lakers need always that third and fourth option. Somebody else got to get double digits outside of AD and LeBron. And that's the thing, whether you're going to get it consistently is another, that's a whole other story, a whole other topic. Um, Rockets, I don't think – I think game one was really a fill-out game for the Lakers. I don't see them – I still have Lakers winning the series. I don't trust D'Antoni, that system. I was talking to somebody the other day about it. D'Antoni will get you 50-plus wins in a regular season. He's going to have top five offensive team. Your stars are going to have some of their best statistical years ever, which equals butts in the seats, with more money in the pockets, for the owners, but y'all not winning nothing. D'Antoni doesn't win. He doesn't, when it matters the most, D'Antoni does not get a championship. Transition to the next game, you got the Raptors-Celtics, which has been going on a little bit longer than the other series. They are on game five. Celtics pull out, blowout win, 111-89. Pretty much 
they were handling the game from the beginning to the end of the game um, from the jump. Takeaways from this game are the Raptors. Is it done for them? Celtics could close it out. How, how you see this one going? Are we going to seven? We could, but, I mean, if Boston plays like they did last night, then the series is over because – I mean, the starters, that's what really did it. They set the tone. Kemba, Tatum, Jalen Brown. That's a, like I've said, that's a nasty combo of those three. You got pretty much three all-stars, if you want to look at it that way, because I think Jalen Brown had an argument to be an all-star this year. You got three all-stars that you have to worry about now, and I don't know if Toronto has enough firepower to match it. Because Pascal, he's not, he's not like Tatum or Brown. He's not going to really, like, mix you off the dribble and be able to get his own shot. He, he's, he's a little awkward in the way he, he plays out there. But it works. It works for them. Um, what else? I mean, Lowry, he had a, a slow game. He's been killing it this series, but he didn't play well. Van Vliet. It was just not a good game. They they got down early and never really recovered from it. It just got out of hand. And sometimes those games, you just got to let it happen. Like, it, it's going to happen. But this late in the series, it happens. You got to move past it and then go to game six because now it's do or die. It's basically a game seven from here on out for y'all because to win or go home. So I think – I'm I'm going to say I like Boston in six, but I wouldn't be shocked if somehow Toronto managed to, to push this to a game seven just because coaching matters and they got a lot of vets on here that have been through the ringer as far as like the playoffs go. And Celtics don't necessarily have that. I mean, some of the, most of these guys were on that team that made it to game seven against that Cavs team that was pretty sorry, but – We'll see. Yeah, we, we mentioned it. We, you need for the Rocket, for the Raptors, for them to have the best chance of winning, you need Kyle Lowry and Van Vliet to have those big type of games. You only get 28 points from the both of them. Siakam has kind of been up and down in the series, 10 points, didn't really do anything to uh, make an impact on the game. Something that I want to uh, – bring up. I think Boston still wins the series. You can't count out Toronto being the champions. They'll probably be able to push it to the game seven. I think Boston still pulls it out just because they have more firepower. Now, Hayward is still injured coming back from the injury. With how the chemistry is going and this three-headed monster, do you bring back Hayward off the bench? Do you have him start? How do you think that goes if you, GM, you running this team they in a groove right now. Hayward is something, a player that can help. But how do you go about acclimating him back into the lineup? I mean, clearly I wouldn't start Hayward. I, I probably, going into the playoffs, I wouldn't have started him to begin with just because that's too many, like, small forwards in one starting lineup. You need at least a guard in there. So Marcus Smart, he actually works better as a starter than off the bench for them because he's, he's been hitting threes all playoffs. He makes the right play. He plays defense. 
So now that, that lineup is deadly with Kemba, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Tatum. Like, that's that's crazy. But Gordon Hayward, he he doesn't have enough space to work out there if he's starting, too. Because he's, he's good enough, honestly, to be a, a scoring option on a team like he used to be in Utah. But it just kind of, like, passed him by here because of the injury and all that stuff. But... I mean, he can still be productive off the bench. That's probably his best role for this team this year at this point because I'm not messing up the groove that they're in. Like, this team is gelling great right now. You would have thought that losing, like, Hayward would be huge, but they haven't really missed a beat besides, you know, a couple lucky shots and and whatnot. But, yeah, I, I don't think Hayward should start if he comes back. He should definitely come off the bench, and that might even make them even deadlier, too. I think so, too, especially that next round, because I think we're going to say round. Um, possibly I'm choosing, you know, the Heat to still beat Milwaukee. Um, the Heat has a great defensive scheme and whatnot, but I think that's going to be too many weapons uh, for them to be able to stop the Celtics. I think it'll be a tough series. they probably go seven, being just how – you can't count out Miami and their shooters and their role players, but I think Hayward coming back off the bench, that'll be a, a super punch they'll need. And Marcus Smart sets the tone defensively, too, starting off the game. Speaking of setting the tone defensively, you have the Clippers coming through, beating the Denver Nuggets. They are up now 2-1 in the series, 113-107, with the huge block that everybody's been talking about, Kawhi blocks. Jamal Murray with his middle finger because he has those big old hands. Takeaways from this Clippers game, um, you feel like they turn that switch on now, that championship level switch, and it'll uh, they'll be back in the mold. I mean, we'll, we'll see because this was a close game for the most part, and I mean Jamal Murray didn't have a good game, so with them losing only by six, that's a positive to take away from it. He didn't play well. But if Paul George plays like he did last night, then it might be slow because, you know, Kawhi is going to be Kawhi. But if they can get Paul George to play like that guy, then I don't know about the Nuggets because it might be slow. But Jokic, another monster game. Michael Porter, they need more from him. And I don't know why he, had, he, he wasn't playing down the stretch. They played Jeremy Grant a little more than, than him. I want to ask you about that. So, at the end of that game, you know, I tweeted it. It was three straight possessions. They were only – it was a two-three point differential. Three straight possessions. Jeremy Grant jump shot in the corner. Jeremy Grant floater. Jeremy Grant shot. Do you feel – Jokic has a great game, but do you feel Jokic has to be more aggressive, especially down the clutch? And – of course, Jamal Murray didn't play well, but a game where he has 32-12-8, and eight, wouldn't this be, you know, down the clutch the fourth quarter? This is not the time to be passive. I didn't like it personally. He didn't take one shot over those last three possessions, and then after that, the Clippers went more. They was able to stretch their lead. Those were three crucial possessions that you let Jeremy Grant, who's a good player, but that's not who you really want taking shots in the last two minutes. No. Um, with that sequence, 
he's he's been hitting threes, but I don't know if I would want to, you know, rely on him to bring us back with those shots. That's what I'm saying. I, I think that Michael Porter, he's earned more of a leash in the in crunch time than than he did earlier in the season. I mean, he's he's been pretty consistent for during the bubble. He's been showing what he can do. I just feel more confident in him knocking down those shots than Jeremy Grant because he really only started shooting threes in the last few years. That's not, that's never been a huge part of his game. But like you said, Jokic, could he be more aggressive? Yeah, but that's just not how his game is really set up. He just plays in the flow of the game, make the right play. If, if Grant was the right play, then that's what he thought. But I don't know, because you still had Murray out there. You still had other guys that can create shots, and it's tough. It's, it's tough, but going into the next game, maybe they'll say something and be like, hey, just look for your shot. Don't, don't try to defer to everybody else when you're the one who's been killing it all night. So go for, go for your shot. At least not in the crunch time where it's a close game like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe, like, the first time, yes, Jeremy Grant was open, perfect pass, kicked out. He missed the three. My opinion, then, all right, cool. You made the right play, but now get aggressive, get a bucket. Um, Talking about the stat lines, Michael Porter Jr., 18 and 10. Jeremy Grant, 11 and 3. I think in this situation, this game, Michael Porter Jr. was on. You should have flip-flopped it. You should have had him. And a lineup because y'all needed more offense. I get Grant as a defensive help for y'all, but in this and the end of that game, they needed some buckets. Jamal Murray isn't on. Put Michael Porter Jr. in, get you some buckets. He was playing well yesterday. That big dunk that he had on Montrez Harrell, huge. I think, like, we've, we already chose it. Clippers are going to win the series, but it's much closer than I expected. Denver is actually playing well. They might be able to push it, I think, maybe to six. Uh, I can't see seven, but they might be able to push it to six games. Yeah, we'll see. Um, Because game two and game three were good games for the Nuggets. So we'll see what they they do tomorrow, tomorrow night. And if they can tie it up, then we got a series. But if they lose, then this thing is over. Curtains. Um, Now, the Nuggets lost, Rockets lost. Two of their key players did not play well. Russell Westbrook, Jamal Murray. Who do you think out of those teams need those two players? Which one needs them to step up more, Rockets or the Nuggets? Uh, I would say the Rockets need Westbrook to step up more just because if he's not playing well, who besides Harden do you really go to in that at crunch time and making plays throughout the game. Cause I mean, with the nuggets, they do have a deep squad. They do have guys who can, can score besides their point guard. So I would feel more confident in them playing well without Murray playing well, but the Rockets, if Westbrook's not playing well, then you have stuff where they go, they go seven games with OKC. They, lose by 20 to L.A., which if he's not playing well, that could very much happen because they don't have size on their 
to their advantage. So what's really going to happen out there if Westbrook's not playing like Westbrook? Because he's not really hitting his jumper. He's making dumb passes, dumb turnovers. He's just – he needs to get it together. That's all. I think – I agree. Westbrook has to play a better better game and help them out more. But when you have Jamal Murray being aggressive and efficient, it just makes it easier for everybody. And it takes some of that load off of the Joker who doesn't – as we can see in his game, he doesn't really look to be aggressive as much. He's more – he's kind of like LeBron. He plays in the flow. I'm trying to make the right play. Um, I think they need their stars between Jokic and Murray to actually – to give them the best chance to give the Clippers to push it to six or seven. I think the Rockets, they were kind of doing well. You feel me? That first series without Russ, um, of course, it went to seven. But you had players step up like Eric Gordon. Um, ben Macklemore, Robert Covington. So I think they have a, some some weapons that can step up. It just, with Westbrook playing, it helps to take away that stagnant of just, hey, let's watch Hart and dribble 14 times, and then we'll, we'll do something. So I feel Murray is a, a bigger need for them um, to try to beat the Clippers. Uh, something that happened also before that game, you know, we, are, we didn't get to talk about it, but Montrez – Became the sixth man of the year. Um, obviously, Lou Will was in that conversation. Top two voting. Um, takeaways from that, you feel well-deserved. Could Lou Will could have got it. How do you think that one went out? I get it. He's He had a really good year off the bench. He was kind of like the glue for this team. But I don't know. I feel like I I wanted Schroeder to win it more so than the other two guys because, one, he's going over to a new role in OKC where he, now he's coming off the bench and they're looking for him to make plays and score. And he basically almost averaged 20 points off the bench for OKC, one of their better players. And they don't get this far without him on top of CP3, but also what Schroeder was able to give off the bench. But I get it. Trez, Trez has been – balling all year double doubles rebounding toughness just he just brings that grit to your team and you really feed off that so I guess the people notice that and that's a it's not the worst six-man choice it probably was the best choice that you could go with thinking of where the Clippers are how deep the team is and with deep teams, it's kind of tough for everybody to to go off and kill. But he did that. He he had a good year, and you could honestly give it to Lou Will every year, but that becomes redundant. And it's almost like the LeBron factor. You don't want to keep giving somebody the MVP or Six Man of the Year just because he's the best one still doing it out there. You want some some different people out there to to give props to. And, hey, gave it to his teammates, so. Yeah, I think it was, like you said, it's the LeBron factor. Every year, Lou Will could get it. So they just tried this year, let's switch it up, give it to somebody else. I would have chose Schroeder also. Schroeder led all off the bench in uh, scoring. 
Mm-hmm. He had, a, I think, a bigger factor in the success of OKC, especially a team that wasn't expected to sniff the playoffs. So I would have gave it the show to me personally. That's how I would have viewed it. But I think it was, like you said, the LeBron factor. Hey, this can be called the Lou Will Jamal Crawford Award. We're going to decide to get it to, you feel me, Montrez, just to switch it up, which I think will be the same situation that happens with the MVP this year. We gave it to Giannis last year. Mm, I don't know. I'm choosing to see that. We've had a discussion. Um, I'm looking forward to the announcement because we've been discussing this for a minute. I think Bron should get it, but we'll see what happens. Train all in this, um, paid in full with Deshaun Watson, um, Keenan Allen, both getting some big contract extensions. Um, being paid top five for their position. Are they actually, you feel, top five players in their position? Is this money warranted? Uh, did they, should they get it? Um, and my other thing, too, to look at it, if Deshaun Watson got this money right here, what can Lamar Jackson look forward to getting to pay next year? Surprised you didn't add what could uh, Dak look to get paid after this, but I mean, with these with these contracts, people might say that's a lot of money, which it is, but this is on par with like what a quarterback's gonna get, like a star quarterback. Because Deshaun, I'll say he's top five in the NFL. He just hasn't been set up for success the way some of these other guys have. Because Bill O'Brien likes to trade all their best players for like a wrench and a screwdriver because it's not, it's not really helping the team. I mean, they traded DeAndre Hopkins and got back David Johnson. If we've watched the last few years, not many people are making that trade, but he, he must be in 2030 because he already knows what's about to happen. But like Deshaun, he deserves that money. He, he worked hard for it. You see how he played last year. He was basically the heart and soul of that team. That team doesn't get as far as they do if not for him. They don't get out to a 28-point lead against the Chiefs without Deshaun Watson. They lost by 30 still, but they got out to the lead. Especially uh, J.J. last year. <laughs> yeah, so Deshaun deserves it. Keenan Allen, though. That's a lot of money for him. He's um, the second second highest paid receiver in the NFL right now. Behind Julio? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least he's not getting paid more than Julio because Julio, I still think, is the best receiver in the NFL. And Keenan Allen's been consistent, but you're also moving in a different direction. Like, Phillip Rivers isn't here anymore. You drafted your young quarterback. There's a lot of injuries on the team. So, like – is it smart to pay him all that money? Maybe not, but it would be good to keep a really good receiver on your team for your young quarterback at the same time too. But I think the way these numbers look right now, that just shows that the guys going up up for their next contract are going to just take that and be like, this is where I start. This is not, I'm not looking to get anything less than this guy because I've done a whole lot more and then some compared to this guy. So it's going to be tough. People who have quarterbacks coming up, lining up for an extension like Cowboys and like Lamar, 
they're going to get more than that. He's going to get more than what uh, Deshaun got. I mean, that's just natural. Lamar already won an MVP, so that already puts him ahead of Deshaun. So this this contract might even be the floor for Lamar at this point. He might push towards like a, a Mahomes-type contract. If, if they really feel like it, they could do that. And that honestly – if you think about it, it's, it's actually better because you lock them up. Like Mahomes' contract, you're locking him up for 10 years and you almost kind of get him at a discount because if he signed for like a four or five-year deal, he can hit free agency a lot sooner and probably get a ton more money compared to what he's going to get now. But it's it sets them up better and helps the team if they really want to win with this guy long-term, it also saves money. So, I mean, the Cowboys, I don't know if Dak will do that. There's a lot of guys who are getting paid right now and money's tight. I guess in Jerry's world, it's it's a little tight. So we'll see. If Dak has a good season, then he's getting over 40 mil. Yeah, this is the, this is the thing. So looking at the, the highest average NFL salaries right now, Patrick Mahomes, $45 million. Deshaun Watson, $40 million. Russell Wilson, $35 million. In regards of the quarterback conversation, Lamar, I think, is going to be probably a little bit higher than Deshaun Watson just because he got the MVP. Um, some would argue he's the second best behind Patrick Mahomes. I can't see anybody getting above the $45 million that Patrick Mahomes got. Um, even in the, you know, with the market growing and even in the future, that's a lot of money to pay somebody 45 mil. That's not your quarterback. I don't think anybody's going to touch that at least for a couple of years. He's not, um, nobody's touching that. Um, Dak Prescott, I don't, even if he won a Super Bowl next year, he can't, I don't think he could be in that price range of 45, 40 million. He's not in the conversation with, Mahomes, Watson, or Lamar Jackson. He's not in that conversation. Or Russell Wilson. Yeah, Russell Wilson either. Um, I think that was a big, big, big bag for Keenan Allen. I don't think he's the number two level receiver in the NFL right now. But as you said, they're trying to lock their players up. They're smart, do it now. Two, three years down the line, you feel me? It's probably going to be more money. So, say – Save some money in the long run. I just also think, my bad for cutting you off, but I also think that it helps in a way for some of these teams to get these deals done right now because in this pandemic, they're not getting the same money coming in as they were before because there's no fans really in the stands. You're losing that money. So these contracts, you're getting them at a discount right now. So you it almost makes sense to try to negotiate something now as opposed to if and when things open up and we're able to go to games again and and all that other stuff. That contract that Keenan Allen might have got, it might have been over 90 mil, if if not for maybe an extra year, but it would be over 90 mil. Now he sets his team, his, his self up for uh, – security going forward and the team also gets a bit of a discount going forward because they could have gone to free agency and let it happen, but 
that's risky too because then teams seeing that you don't want to let a guy go they might try to drive up the price and offer a lot more than you might be willing to offer but then you you feel forced to almost match it because you don't want to lose that player that's that almost if you lose a player like that you it could set your team back a few years so they, they should feel lucky that they were able to get this done now yeah we'll see football is back on thursday um we'll see how that goes the first week um these contracts like you said it was People got paid, paid in full. They were able to get their contracts, so shout-out to them for getting their money. Uh, we transition now to the flag on the play segment. As we know, accept or decline. If Miles decides to accept the topic, I will go further on to read more about the topic. If he declines, we just move forward. Um, first one we're going to have for you, uh, they have some new sports coming around that are viewed as <laughs> maybe being Olympics. Uh, people are actually doing it. It's becoming popular. One of them is chess boxing. Accept or decline? I want to. I'll accept because I I want to know what this is. Um, chess boxing. Chess boxing. So chess boxing is fought over eleven rounds, alternating between three minutes of boxing and three minutes of speed chess. A boxer slash chess player can be victorious by either a knockout or checkmate. Chess boxing. It actually sounds kind of fun to watch. Uh, I would, hey, ESPN, they put random sports on TV all the time. So hopefully if that's a real sport, they put that on ESPN primetime because that's the most interesting thing we're going to see right now. Chess yeah. and boxing in one one match, that's, that actually sounds kind of cool, but. Yeah, it's getting, uh, uh, growing, it's following over in Germany, Great Britain. Uh, Russia and India so they're seeing you know if it could come over to these parts but it's bigger over there right now uh, chess boxing next one we're gonna have is a high school football team with their team name is called the Rob Stone Cotton Pickers except or decline I'm gonna decline it uh, the name says everything I don't want to hear what it has to to deal with if they're like, oh, it doesn't mean anything like that. No, it's, it's kind of like the Redskins or all that stuff. It's, it's the principle of the name. So I'm going to pass on that. Second, next one. There's a petition being started to fire NBA referee Scott Foster. Accept or decline? I'll accept it just because we know that he's had some questionable calls over the course of the last few years for his career he's he's not a, a, a favorite of the players he's not someone that you're like all right he makes the right calls he calls a fair game I don't know if there's gonna be a lot of players who say that about him if he had a, a yelp on his refereeing he might have <laughs> a lot of bad reviews so yeah he, he <laughs> He's not, he's not someone you want to see in game seven of the finals, for sure. Yeah, so they broke it down because they were believed as saying that he helped the Lakers win. He was working for the Lakers. They decided – it's always funny finding these statistics. They broke it down. Uh, the Rockets got called on 21 fouls. Out of those 21, Scott Foster called 13 of them. 
Lakers got caught 17 fouls. Out of the 17, Scott Foster caught five of them. Between him and the other refs, he caught a total of 18 fouls to 13 and seven. So that's one of the stats that they're throwing out there that uh, he obviously called more fouls for the Rockets. I wouldn't go as far as to saying that the man helped the Lakers win and he's working for the Lakers, but like I found it funny that last series, supposedly, you know, CP3 and James Harden have a beef with, beef with Scott Foster and he refed the game. So it was like, are they going to end up in a tie or how was that one going to go? So I just feel the Rockets always have something they're complaining about. Like, was it, wasn't it the first game of the season? of the regular season, and they were trying to uh, get the game to be checked out and reviewed that it should have been a win. So I feel – this goes back to our conversation. The Rockets lose. I think they're going to keep the same team because they are super stubborn <laughs> and they look for excuses. I feel the front office looks for excuses as to why they aren't succeeding. Last one we want to have, whether you're going to accept or decline, Brian Erlacher says police were justified of shooting um, Jacob Blake seven times in the back. Um, I'm going to accept it. I don't know how you could justify shooting a guy like that in the back that many times. I know some people – They'll go back to he was resisting or he wasn't listening to the cops and why'd he go into his car? But, I mean, shooting a guy is a little extreme and shooting somebody that many times when I'm pretty sure that all cops have been issued a taser for situations like this to have it not escalate to this point. I don't know. It, it reminds me of that Fruitvale Station movie where instead of his taser, which allegedly he said he was reaching for, he reached for his gun and went to tase the guy and shot him and killed him. So it's, it just shows the difference between a taser and a gun. One can really kill you. The other one just leaves you a little stunned for a little bit. And that's really what you would want if you're a cop. You don't want to kill somebody because then that puts you in situations like this where now a whole nation is against you where if you follow the rules if you don't use excessive force then I mean people will still always hate cops but it's not going to be on front street it's not going to be on CNN every day talking about how this this cop how was he even allowed? Did they check his psychological state before he was a cop? All that stuff. They don't question that. It's just something that escalated. And to, to calm it down, just use a taser. That's all it really comes down to. I don't know why the gun is the first thing you reach for. I guess cops always have that excuse of I feared for my life when I don't know if James Blake would really be trying to go sh go into a shootout with his kids like five feet from him. So 
Yeah, Brett, what his comments were, this was on Instagram. Uh, he said, Brett Favre played Monday night football game the day his dad died, threw four TDs, four touchdowns in the first half, and was a legend for playing in the face of adversity. The NBA players boycott the playoffs because a dude reaching for a knife wanted on a felony sexual assault warrant was shot by the police. That was his comments on um, Instagram, Brian Erlacher. Like we said, NFL is back Thursday. There's been some changes. There's been people, you know, named as starters, like Cam Newton was named the starter. Um, they named Mitch Trubisky as the starter over Nick Foles. Right move, wrong move. Um, you think Cam should be the starter? How do you view these two uh, positions getting a starting job? I think, I mean, the best thing for them would have been to just go with Trubisky at this point. Just because you drafted him so high and to give up on him after, what, three seasons, even though he hasn't really given confidence that he can change, but – it wouldn't be the first time a team gave up on somebody that soon. Just point yeah. that out there. Yeah, it's, you're right. But there's also a lot of untapped potential with Trubisky that hopefully the coach is able to bring out. Because if you watch the games, he's not like the typical passer. But he can run. He's got wheels. So use that in the game plan. Don't try to just make him Peyton Manning and just stay back there and survey the field and try to pick it apart when you know that's not how he is. He's not he's not one of those type of quarterbacks. I would try the read option. I would even look at places like Tennessee or Baltimore as teams that they run it a lot. Take a little pressure off the quarterback. Because Tannehill, he was up and down before he got to Tennessee. And he made it in Tennessee because they're stronger on the run than they are through the air. And, I mean, with Chicago, they have more pieces to throw to than Tannehill does because he only really has one one receiver and a tight end. That's really it. But, I mean, Trubisky, that was the only move I saw because I didn't really see them, like, doing much as far as, like, Foles, because I don't, I don't feel that confident in Foles to be that much of a game changer. And if that's the case, then you got to roll with Trubisky and see, and hopefully he, he's been working in the off season and got got better. So, hey, Nick Foles is shout out to him. He's getting the bag then just to be a sitting on the bench and to be a, a mentor to Trubisky. So, I think. That's my only concern is just the amount of money he's getting paid. He's getting paid like a starter. Uh, if you guys kind of was doing going to start Trubisky anyway, why sign him? I think I think they don't have full confidence in him. We're going to start him, and I can see if he struggles three, four games in, it'll be they're going to be put foals in because it doesn't make you feel me. It don't make sense to bring him there if y'all was really confident in Trubisky completely. Yeah have their trepidations and concerns about them. You mentioned the Titans. The Davian Clowney finally has signed to a team after also firing his agent for the second time in this offseason, going with a new agency. Does this signing put the Titans in the conversation for an AFC contender? 
are they even the top team in your division? Um, I mean, they're still in the same division as the Chiefs, so that's always going to be kind of slow. As long as Mahomes is healthy, then I don't really see it, but it does make them a better team, clearly. I mean, Clowney shouldn't have been on at home, basically, for this long. He should have been on the team months ago, but nobody was really paying – that much money for a defensive end who really only had three sacks last year. So a guy looking to get 16 million a year on a long-term deal, you got to do a little more than that for me, but it does make them better. It makes them a better run defense team because that's his strong suit. He's good against the run, but I don't know if they have enough weapons on offense to really make noise like, they do have Tannehill. They got A.J. Brown. They got Derrick Henry. But, I mean, besides those guys at receiver, at running back, you don't really have much. So you're relying on, like, a three-headed monster to carry you. And, I mean, football is a little different than basketball. You could have a team get carried by three guys. But in football, you need, like, 23 guys at least to carry you. Out of at least the 52, you need yeah. – need that be with them being in the same uh you feel me that division with the texans and the colts and the jaguars you think that this signing at least puts them at the top of their their division right there i do they're right there in like that second spot still i still think they don't have enough to match up with the chiefs though because i mean when they get going they can really like they showed in the playoffs they can put up points just like that. Like, it's pretty quick and easy. So, I think there'll be a second-place second, uh, team this year. But it's not a bad thing, especially if you're second to the champs. You'll still probably make the playoffs like they did, and they were able to make a run in the playoffs last year. So, we'll see. Yeah, um, I still – I think the Texans win their actual division in regards to the conference. You've got the Chiefs. I would even still put the Ravens in that conversation before you would put the Titans in there. I still don't think it's enough. It's a nice signing. Um, it's a one-year rental, basically. Mm-hmm. And see, you get the best out of him. And, you know, hopefully he re- you know, returns back to his uh, old form, at least giving you nine to ten sacks, some forced fumbles, things of that nature. Uh, we're going to finish off. This episode with some fantasy talk. Um, you just went through a fantasy draft yourself recently. For this first week of the NFL, who do you think are some uh, people that people should start? Uh, whether it's quarterback, running back, who are the sleepers that you're looking at for this first week of the NFL being back? Like, I mean, for quarterbacks, I like Matt Stafford and Gardner Minshew from the Jaguars. I just think that. Those are two teams that are going to have to throw it a lot to be competitive, especially the Jaguars, who they're basically the bad news bears out there, getting rid of every good player that they have. So, I mean, Minshew's going to have to let it fly a lot because they don't actually have a good running back there now. So that's going to happen. Uh, Running back, you got Zach Moss from the Bills. Um, He could have a good – Second half of the year. It's a little cloudy right now, but 
honestly, he's a better option at running back for the Bills than Devin Singletary just because he has fumbling issues. He's If he hasn't won the job by now, then that should tell you what it is. But who else? I like – I like James Conner to bounce back this year for the Steelers, I think. I mean, last year was just a bad season for them. Big Ben got hurt. Conner was in and out of the lineup. Juju was – he was terrible last year. So, I think there's a lot of guys on that team that are going to bounce back. And if the team stays healthy, which I got James Conner on a bunch of my teams, so I'm betting that he does stay healthy. If If that happens, then – you're getting him at a discount because he's been going a lot later than he should. And then at receiver, uh, I like CD lamb going forward. I think that him in the slot is going to be nasty because I mean, he's really a number one receiver and on this team, he's treated like the number three. So if Dak's in trouble, that guy in the slot is going to help a lot. And I tried to get him in as many leagues as I could. I don't think I have him in any because people yeah. are thinking the same as me, but he could have a good season, honestly. And it, it's always insurance because if you want to take him, that's insurance for Amari Cooper or Gallup. If they get hurt, then he turns into a star off the bat because he's honestly too good to be a number three on a team. He should be someone's go-to option, but – for now, for now, this works. And it actually works better for the, the Cowboys because they have a lot of mouths to feed, and that should open things up a lot for Zeke, for Dak. So we'll see about that. Um, as far as, like, a tight end goes, sleeper, I like the guy from Atlanta, Hayden Hurst, or my guy from the Jets, Herndon. I just think that there's so many – moving pieces on the Jets right now and guys getting hurt in in and out of the lineup. So Herndon could honestly have like a breakthrough year. Plus in most of these drafts, he's not going early. He's going towards the end of the draft. So if you could draft a tight end that late, then you could really stack up those other positions and beef up your team while getting a starting tight end with one of your later, later picks. And Last but not least, the defense, you're going to want to get a good one. And, I mean, Pittsburgh is bringing everybody back, and they had they had like the second-best defense. So I'm rocking with the Steelers. I got them in a couple leagues. They're always good. They got T.J. Watts rushing the passer. They got a good core of linebackers. Joe Hayden's still there, and then Minka Fitz, Fitzpatrick, who they traded for last year, made a ton of plays. So if they can all play like they, they did last year and you pick them, then you really don't have to worry about a defense. That kind of carries that part of the team. Like I'm in a couple leagues where I made my league where it's two defenses, and that threw some people off because now you have to – try to get two good defenses because if one defense is good and the other's so-so, then they could really cancel each other out. And that, that, that'll really make you lose games. So if you take fantasy serious enough, if you are playing for money, if you're trying to win some top dollar while you're working from home, then 
you gotta you gotta see what you've got. You can't you gotta see the value in most of these picks. Like I try to start off the draft running back heavy because I mean if you get good running backs, they could be a runner and a receiver. Like we saw what McCaffrey did last year. You're gonna want a guy that's similar to that because I mean most drafts he's the first guy picked. So you're not gonna get McCaffrey unless you have the first pick. But if you're gonna draft guys, don't don't take them too early. Like you could wait on quarterbacks because there's a lot of sleepers that you can get late in the draft. You're gonna want to go running back heavy first, then look at the receivers middle rounds because it's deep at receiver this year as usual. But that's kind of how you want to set up your team. You want to go running back, receiver. Even throw receiver tight end. If you get a good enough tight end and he's there, then you take him, and then you don't have to take one for the rest of the draft. So there's a lot. There's a lot of ways you can go. You just have to pivot where where pivoting calls for it. Well, we'll be doing this weekly based off you know matchups and seeing how the week goes once the season starts. So we keep y'all up to date with fantasy. Um, this guy, as you mentioned, is in about twelve different leagues. So he is um, way more experienced in this aspect than I am. So we will be having this a part of the show, and he will do what he just did. He will have a lot of the conversation. I'll chime in here and there. Um, so that's how we'll do it. Keep y'all updated. This guy wins a lot of money. Um, I try. Fan- I, need, I need to win some more. He does fan duel. He does all of them. So we'll have this little segment where he talks about how y'all can make money. Um, so that's how we'll do it. This is how we're ending this show, this installment, as we have said before. If you're on the bench in life, in sports, wherever that, stay ready. When you get off the bench, you'll be ready. All right, bench mob, we out. Peace. Peace.